from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Friday, June 20th, one day to go. Stephen Jinks awoke in a philosophical mood. He was still slightly depressed by the fact that their work had fallen behind schedule, but somehow everything looked better in the morning. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is Hunter, and I am joined as I am every week by my dear companion. Oh! I didn't hear that. <clears throat> Sorry, banana cream. Cute! <laughs> All right, uh, speaking of banana cream, I believe that is your signature snack of the this book that we're talking about today, Odds On. That is correct. Uh, and uh, your signature drink is what exactly? Boxed White. Mm. Whereas I am uh, accompanying this recording with a uh, gin sour and a box of Triscuits, the electricity biscuit. Hmm. Now, we've got a real barnstormer for you today. By barnstormer, I mean uh, unmemorable chapter in which not much happened and was very short. <laughs> but before we get to the events of this particular chapter, we should talk about what happened last in the previous chapter, Hugh. Uh, so we give a brief synopsis of the uh, yes. the events. Yes, we shall. Yes, we shall. So barely anything of consequence happened in the last chapter. Mm. So uh, each of the principal males were investigating each of the principal females. That's not true. That's not true? Miguel is not investigating Cynthia. No, someone else was. Yeah. Jean-Paul was. Anyway, yes. Um, so last chapter, what was happening with each of the characters? Jenks was off with Jenny. Jenks is attempting to get into the pants of Jenny. Mm-hmm. And he also has a little bit of a convo with uh, Alan Brady, the uh, con man who possibly will disrupt our uh, three male protagonist plans. Yep, and Brady lies about the fact, or supposedly lies about the fact that he is a member of the CIA. Mm -hmm. And Brian was off with Annette, forming a deeper connection with her than he had hoped for. Mm. Miguel does nothing, pretty much? No. And we also get a very drawn-out sex scene between two tertiary characters, uh, Cynthia and Jean-Paul, the chauffeur of uh, Miss Shaw, who is uh, revealed to be attempting to sell marijuana on at the hotel. Yeah, we got an extended hallucinatory double sex scene for some reason. Mm. <laughs> In the middle of that bloated chapter. Uh, I think the the some reason was the simple sensual pleasures of the text, you know. Intrigue, misogyny, computers, 
So, um, this, uh, chapter has pretty much every other chapter has, but this one to an, uh, even more extreme extent is basically made up, made up of several little vignettes that, uh, don't really have much to do with each other and don't have much to do with anything at all, I think. I, so honestly, honestly, I have to say this up front because I'll be relying on you heavily if you remember it better than I do, but we rec- we normally record these episodes back to back. And in fact, I read both chapters back to back this morning. Me too. And... So overwhelmed was I by the aforementioned hallucinatory love scene between Jean-Paul and Cynthia that I remember almost nothing about the subsequent chapter Friday, June the Mm. 20th, which was brisk and somewhat, you know, perfunctory. Mm. Well, uh, I'm here to tell you that there isn't much to remember about it, so we don't have to... I remember literally nothing. So you can tell me anything about what happens in this chapter. (laughs) It'll be news to me. Okay. Uh, so the book opens with a, uh, jig seed that is literally nothing. He just like looks at the mirror and is like, okay, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do the first ever scientific crime. Oh, yes. That was like the best quote of this chapter, actually. The line was... Oh, uh, please. If we can find we, it. We can get a little Crichton out loud. This should be like the, the, the tagline of the, of the entire book. Yes. He was using mathematics and using the computer to carry out the first genuinely scientific crime in the history of mankind. It seems yeah. like the how he, how he sold that book to the publisher. <laughs> mm. uh, I doubt it. I'm sure you just sold it to the publisher would be like, I've got some shitty James Bond. There you go. <laughs> All right, so we get that, and then we move on. Pretty much we get a little scene with Brian and Annette. Um, we warned that, that uh, as uh, we both suspected in the last chapter... They do not end up having sexual intercourse, and Annette has to go to work in the morning at uh, 8, I believe. Yeah, and she's late. But uh, she's going to be made even later, because before they do that, her and Brian make sweet love, uh, which is returns this the book's earlier style of uh, skipping it over the sex scenes. So, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> then we get uh, my favorite portion of the chapter, uh, which is a little scene between uh, Miguel and Peter Ganson, <laughs> uh, which I, I, I'd like to read a little bit of, if that's okay. Go for it. He's riding men proud. Come on, let's hear it. Right about now. For crying out loud. I see, Miguel said, listening with every appearance of attention, to the pimple-faced kid. No, it was more than attention. It was an interested fascination that bordered on adulation. The kid was lapping it up, poor bastard. Yes, Peter said, I've always had that ability. Not with all women, of course, but with, with many of them. I find that the right amount of pressure and cajolery and the right combination works wonders. The only problem is finding the combination. They've been lucky there most of the time. And I find women so interesting, particularly older women. That's the trouble. The young ones have the bodies, but the older ones know how to use them. I agree, Miguel said. He did not allow his eyes to leave Peter's face. Basically, the luxury of attention. Peter was growing more excited and voluble. His words poured forth in confusion. Miguel was certain that he was lying fabulously. Now an exception, Peter said, warning over, leaning over confidently. Exception happens to be the chambermaids in this hotel. Have you tried them? So just a really repulsive little bit of uh, dialogue right there, I think. <laughs> uh, which I thought was uh, pretty amusing. It just reveals this Peter Gantikin to not only be a cuck, but to be a uh, misogynist and a liar as well. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, this little <laughs> subchapter ends with us. Miguel, for reasons that are obscure to me, deciding to pawn off Cynthia onto Peter. Yes. Like, it's possible he's just wishing to escape the conversation. Mm. Um, but uh, basically the little uh, subchapter ends with uh, Peter annoying Cynthia into sleep. Yeah. And that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> And then we get some more jinx. Um, some hijinks. And he uh, meets up with uh, Mrs. Shaw, actually. She tries to entice him into purchasing some weed. Yes, but not before giving him a lecture about how much she loves bananas. Because there's one thing we need to have reiterated every time Miss Shaw makes an appearance. It's how much she goddamn loves bananas. Speaking of which. Are you going to have a banana cream mm-hmm. biscuit? Hmm. Delicious. Um, and yeah, I feel like that's about it. So Annette has hooked up with uh, Brian, right? Mm. It's established that she's late for work. And the reason why that's important is that the hotel manager, Mr. Bonnard, mm. it's supposed to be his day off, mm. right? So she eventually gets back to Hotel Arena an hour late. And uh, then it transpires that Mr. Bonnard is not actually taking the day off. Mm. He confesses to her that he has had a premonition that something bad is going to happen. And he feels that it will not be appropriate for him to be away from the hotel. Mm. So he's in fact going to stay on that day and throughout the weekend, which is when the heist will occur, Mm. because of this premonition. Mm. So a little bit of trouble for our three... This is a bit odd. Is this like is this like a, an element of magical realism introduced into into the into the novel? Does he have just a random premonition that something bad is going to go down in this hotel, or was there some sort of cause for it? And it turns out, after Cynthia makes some inquiries among her colleagues, that he received a phone Annette, call early after in the morning. Annette makes some inquiries. Annette, sorry, after Annette, sorry, sorry, after Annette. <laughs> Once again, the female characters in this book are very easy <laughs> to distinguish from each other and in no way resemble one another. Interchangeable, interchangeable. I mean, some of the male characters are too, but they're given, they're afforded a slightly more um, characterization personalities than, than the female characters, yes. Anyway, so, so um, Annette makes some inquiries among her colleagues, discovers that... The manager, Mr. Bonnard, actually received a phone call early in that mo- mm-hmm. earlier that morning. Mm-hmm. Lasted for about fifteen minutes, and maybe that is behind this supposed premonition he's had that something bad is going to go down. Maybe he he knows more than he's letting on. Right. Mm. Obviously, he he won't know the details of this plan. Jenks is too smart for that. They've they've performed their duties too well up until this point to give the game away, so to speak. But. Maybe he has learned something that has troubled him, that has has given him cause for suspicion. Then, quite quite unexpectedly, Jenks enters his office, the manager's office, mm. to tell him that the hotel is great. Mm-hmm. So he he obviously has some reason for doing this, but he feels it's appropriate to to put on airs in front of the manager. Mm. Tell him that he thinks the service he has received thus far has been exceptional, mm. and he wanted to go out of his way to make sure the manager knew that. Mm. 
Then he asks, he inquires as to whether they would be able to cater for a large party. And just at that moment, a policeman enters the office. <gasps> Chapter ends. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, that's pretty much the only consequential event that happens in this chapter. Yes. The last sentence I should actually quote is, Jenks turned to face a policeman, swarthy and grim-looking. And uh, I suppose we'll find out about this this policeman and the potential complication to the plot uh, in the next couple of chapters. It's actually quite enticing because it doesn't make much sense the way that little section uh, plays out because he asks Mr. Bonnard, the manager, can you handle large parties, banquets, things like that? Uh. Then the door opens and Bonnard says, there's your answer, Mr. Jenks. Mm. And then we get the description of this grim, swarthy police officer. Well, perhaps the police officer is, there's some police convention or something like that. Yes, that, that could well be it. And that's explained early in the next chapter, but we'll have to wait. Well, uh, before we go, perhaps we should do a little predicting uh, as to the next two chapters, shall we? Uh, it's Friday, uh-huh. right? This is the Friday chapter. It's very short, and it turns out, because I happen to glance at the next chapter heading, uh-huh. that Friday continues into the next chapter, mm. which means the heist cannot take place in the next chapter. But it but it presumably will have to at least begin to take place in the, the one after this, right? Yes, indeed. And it will probably last a few chapters. Yeah. Because the heist is the event of the book as far as we're concerned at this point. So I expect the next chapter to conclude the events of Friday with a, maybe a couple more wrinkles. But nonetheless, uh, Jenks, Miguel, and Brian will be primed to begin the heist proper in the following chapter. Well, I'm going to hit stop on the recorder, if that's okay. Oh.